If you will take your Bibles, please, this morning to John chapter 18. We are in the Passion Week now in the Gospel of John. The Passover has... Uh, there, there, there is some consideration here about when the Passover took place. I believe Jesus was crucified on Passover day. Which meant that the Passover meal was celebrated that evening. And we know that Jesus ate the Passover supper with his disciples. It's what we're told very clearly. The 13th chapter there that is described... And then the, re the remainder of chapter 13 through chapters 14, 15, and 16 are Jesus' final instructions to his disciples before his betrayal and arrest at the hands of uh, the Jews to be turned over to the Romans to be executed. So the 18th chapter describes his arrest, his betrayal and arrest. So this is where we want to uh, focus our attention here this morning. And I want to read here uh, through verse 14. If you will uh, please stand with me for this reading. You need to get up every once in a while and stretch your legs anyway. That's good for you, right? <laughs> Chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the, the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing that all all that would happen to him came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Actually, literally in the Greek, it's I am. Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with them. John puts that in there for a significant reason. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Why do you suppose that was? They recognized that he was deity in, the, in their midst. But what did they do? They pursued it anyway. So, they, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost no one. That was the in the high priestly prayer there, the 17th chapter. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant. And cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put up your sword, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Amen. You may be seated. The message this morning is pretty much an introductory message because I think there's some principles that we need to to understand here uh, with respect to uh, what's going to be taking place now. And I think some of that is really evident in the in the reading of the scriptures there, and I, and you know, and I'm I'm thinking about myself because I've often read these same passages and just read over, I think, some very significant and important statements. And then the Lord shows you how important those statements really were, draws your attention to them, and then you see how these things fit together and you're just you're just blown away but Jesus intention from the beginning of his earthly existence when he came when he first came into this world when he began his public ministry his whole emphasis was aimed at this time right here he was born for this reason he lived for this reason. He ministered for this reason. Now he is going to submit himself to die in the purpose of God. And all the four Gospels are united in this emphasis. Jesus, For Jesus to be given authority in both heaven and on earth, he must fulfill the divine mandate to become the Savior of the world through the ultimate sacrifice of himself. And John wants his readers to see Jesus in all his glory. And this is what Paul described when he wrote, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So is your, is your life manifesting that truth? The psalmist declared, and we read uh, the second psalm, but this is from Psalm 110 and verse 1. Text from the psalm is quoted more than any other psalm text in the New Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus cited this reference when he was confronted by the Pharisees near the end of his ministry. There in Matthew chapter 22 verse 41. It's also found in Mark and Luke. This is, as I said, this is the most cited text in the New Testament. Another place in Matthew, chapter 26, verse 64, in Ephesians 1.20, and in Colossians 3.1, Hebrews cites it four times, 1.3, 1.11, 1.12, 1.13, 1.14, 1.16, 1.17, 1.18, 1.19, 1.20, 1.21, 1.22, 1.23, 1.24, 1.25, 1.26,
again in verse 13 of chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 12, and chapter 12, verse 12. So it's no doubt the foundation of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 25 to 27 when he said, For he must reign, he must reign until all his enemies are under his feet. The last enemy must be to be destroyed is death, for God hath put all things under his feet. That's citing Psalm 110 verse 1. So we're in a spiritual battle. And it is playing out in this gospel age. The struggle is not to determine the winner. We're not hoping that Jesus will win. And maybe the devil does have more power than we think. Uh Uh-uh. It was all decided at Calvary. When Jesus cried, It is finished. Satan was defeated and was thrown down. But, what are we involved with today? We're involved in the struggle of overcoming the enemy. And he's let, God's letting it play out through this gospel age. And the reason is, he's calling out a people for his name. And the, some of these people maybe have not yet been born. They too must be called with the gospel and brought into the family of God. So we say, well, why didn't God, why didn't he clear all this stuff up? Make it easy for us. no. We're, we're, it's, what we're doing right now is we're in the wilderness, so to speak. We've been delivered out of Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. Isn't that interesting significance there? And having to do with the Lord's table right there. But before the children of Israel got into the glorious promised land, they had to pass through the wilderness to sanctify them. And what we're doing now is we're passing through the wilderness to get sanctified. So we'll be ready for the promised land. We've been redeemed, but we haven't yet been fully sanctified. So Jesus understood the plan of God in this struggle, and he acted with resolve and determination, praying, not my will, or not as I will, but as you will. There in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. John's recounting of his betrayal at the hands of Judas and the plotting of the hateful and wicked Jews, the the cowardice of his own disciples, and the political expediency of the Roman procurator Pilate all resulted in the horrible injustice to the innocent Lamb of God. Yet, all this evil was in the will of God. And it's demonstrated in a pattern in the scriptures. For Romans 8.28 says all things, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are those who are called according to His purpose. Yes, and the reward followed on the third day 
his obedience was rewarded. And that's in the pattern too. Our obedience to Jesus Christ will be rewarded. But Christ was rewarded when on that third day he rose from the grave. Just like he declared that he would. So we read death was swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 55. And by his obedience to the will of God... We read there in Colossians 2 verse 15, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. God wrought a great victory. But it's still playing out. In the temptation, Satan sought the worship of Jesus in exchange for dominion over the works of God's hands. If you'll remember, when God created Adam, He created him to have dominion over the works of his hands. When Adam sinned, he lost that dominion. Satan stole it. After the flood, when God told Noah to repopulate the earth, He deliberately left off this about dominion because mankind has no more dominion over the works of His hands. And now Satan is tempted, tempting Jesus on the mountain, and he states to him the reason for his desire that he should worship him. To you, I will give all this authority or dominion and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. He's a liar. Satan's a liar. He's always been a liar. It was never delivered to him. He stole it. And he says, and I will give it to whom I will. Jesus, I know God is wanting you to, as the second Adam, to take authority over all the dominion of his hands. But I own it now. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell you, you don't need to go to the cross. You can bypass all that suffering. And you do, all you got to do is bow down here and worship me. Nobody is here. None of your disciples are here to see this. This is just secret between you and me. How, how much evil, how much harm, how much has been done by people claiming to believe in Jesus Christ who keep everything secret and won't tell anybody. Don't go seek any help. Don't seek any uh, counsel. Just, we're going to keep it secret because we're embarrassed. That's what Satan does. That's his plan. Jesus, if you'll just bow down here and worship me, nobody will know about this but you and me. And I'll give you all the dominion and you won't have to suffer for it. Now, he's a liar. And Jesus knew that. So what did he say? Jesus responded, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. The Greek word there is latreia. It's, it's a special service. 
It's the service one renders as he worships his God. What was Jesus saying to Satan? To worship you requires that I serve you. And I have no intention of serving you. I will serve only the one I worship. And we're told the same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your latreia, your service of worship. You claim to worship God? Do you serve God in that worship? So Satan resisted, excuse me, Jesus resisted Satan's offer to give him dominion over the nations. But did he ask the Father for it? Now remember, now we read Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says, God said to his son, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. What's he asking? He said, ask me and I'll give you dominion over the works of my hands. He's the second Adam. And in obedience to God, God said, ask me and I'll give you the... I'll give you. Because he's the one that owns it originally. It's the works of his hands. So here's the question. (laughs) See, this is what troubles us a little bit. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the Father's right hand. It's been 2,000 years since the Apostle Paul told us that Jesus is sitting at the Father's right hand and that he is putting all of his enemies in subjection under his feet. And we look out and we see what has been put in subjection under him. I find there's bunches of Christians that won't even submit to him. It looks like he's doing a pretty bad job. (laughs) Huh? Or is he? Ah. See, what is time to God? What is time to God? And he's letting it all play out in his own plan for his own glory. So we have here a principle that's set forth in the scriptures. And it's set forth there again and again for our instruction and admonition and yet we read over it and we don't even see it sometimes. We just don't think about it. Here's the principle. The principle is there's always darkness before the dawn. You say, well, yeah, that's obvious. (laughs) Uh, Is it really? Look at the pattern with respect to uh, Egypt. And the children of Israel in Egypt, they were in bondage there in the last years. Not not for 400. They were not in bondage for 400 years. But in the last period they were, and they were in severe, unbelievable, horrible bondage because the king was afraid of them and he wanted to destroy them because he knew that they were a threat to his reign. Think about that. 
what's what's our current administration trying to do? They're trying to destroy Christians and shut them up because we're a threat to the reign. But what did God do? God came in a wonderfully, marvelously, and great power delivered the children of Israel out of bondage into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Just the same thing that God does with us through the sacrifice and blood of Jesus Christ. The Passover lamb sacrificed for us. He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And now He's sanctifying us just like He did the children of Israel in the wilderness. And that wasn't a pleasant experience either. Filled with hardships. Filled with uncertainties. And that's the principle. And even though Jesus was rejected and crucified in the darkness of sin, here's the principle again, by hateful and evil men, he rose in the dawn of a glorious new day from, the, from death, the light of that third day, to rule in the glory at the Father's right hand. But again, what is the progress of this victory? The answer here is, is twofold. And number one, as Paul stated, Jesus is currently reigning, subjecting his enemies under his feet. This is taking place in the invisible kingdom that Jesus spoke about to Pilate. So this is going back to our text. I said this is an introductory message. So when Jesus is before Pilate, Pilate uh, asked him, are you, are you truly the king of the Jews? And Jesus' response to, it, to him was, my kingdom is not of this world. Now don't misread Jesus. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be, have been fighting. And remember there when he was, was arrested, Old Peter whips out his sword there and starts flailing it around. He's not very good with it either because he only managed to cut off a, an ear of a servant. Jesus uh, picked it up and put it back on in its place there and says, Stop that. Put that sword away. Quit it. We'll get into that later. Not in this message. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That I might be delivered over to the, not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Now, it, it, the, the point is, it's not of the world, but it's going to be one time over the whole world. And the initial establishment of this victorious rule first has to be in the spiritual realm and then it will be in the political realm before Jesus comes. Now listen to this. this to, to me, you listen carefully to the Apostle Paul. He said, For he must rule until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy is death. When is death put under his feet? When Jesus comes back and raises everyone from the grave. What happens before he comes back to, to, put, to, uh, to raise everyone from the grave? We're going to see the kingdom of God on earth. Because all of his enemies will have been subdued. When will that be? I don't know. I don't know. But I believe it's coming. How long it will be? I don't know. But it will be before Jesus comes back again to raise everyone from the dead. Wow. Victory's ours. So this is initial establishment then of this victorious rule is spiritual, but it will have political consequences. The spiritual aspect is associated with the church. Where is his kingdom now? Right here, with his people. As we, as we meet together in the, in the body of Christ, the church. As he gathers out of the world the people for his name, they, are, they join him in community, in the community of faith, and live in submission to the, to the king while they live. See, this is what the world needs to see. They need to see the church living in victory over the world. Strong in their faith. Confident in their Savior. Not moaning and groaning, fearing, cowering, but declaring, Jesus is Lord. And so they are to live by faith as the victors in this vile world. So we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain. Huh? <laughs> and second. And I'm going to finish it up here. This is just the introduction. <laughs> second. The kingdom of God. Will ultimately triumph in the political realm. And again Pilate. Threatened Jesus. He said, uh, you do not speak to me? It, it's interesting how Jesus responded. Often when the charges were brought up, Jesus didn't respond, respond at all. That's not how normally people work. They're always wanting to defend themselves. Well, yeah, well, uh, this is why I did that. or this is I didn't do that. I, they're lying or, or whatever. They're, you know, Jesus didn't. He just, okay, yeah, is that what they're saying, you know? And so Pilate goes a little frustrated there. He's dealt with a lot of criminals. And he said to him, Do, Will you not speak to me? Are you, aren't you going to defend yourself? No. And then he, he made this statement, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? 
And Jesus responded in the power of God. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. When Pilate heard those words, he was shaken to the core and tried his best to get Jesus freed. But the problem of it is, he's a politician. And like all politicians, he's a chicken and a coward and cowers before the authorities. So he just went along with the plan instead of doing what was right. So Jesus has absolute authority over all the nations now. He could shut everything down in a moment, but he's not. During this gospel age, he's helping them to destroy themselves. He lets it play out so that everybody can see how foolish they really are. Whoa. Was that powerfully brought home to me yesterday? And I won't go into the details right here, but as I looked at evidence from the Ludlow massacre that occurred right here in our own in our own uh, state back in the 19, I think around 1916. Wow. So see, see, we're, but we're part of the process as we stand strong in faith and in the armor of God and resist the whole, the evil one. So we read there in Hebrews. See, do you believe this? Do you really believe this? Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction of things not seen. You know what, you know what Paul is telling us to do here? Live like we're victors. Live like we have everything under control. Because it is. But I don't see it. Doesn't matter what you see. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. <clears throat> see, we're to live like Abraham. What did Abraham how did Abraham live? He he was looking for a city. Ah, he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. <laughs> Are you living that way? Are you living in this life looking for that city, that glorious city, Zion, whose builder and maker is God? Let's pray. Father, we, we're so grateful for the Word of God. We're so grateful for it's clarity and truth. We're grateful for the Spirit of God who has been given us, who is the author of the truth in Scripture and is the teacher of that truth to us. And then in power, He makes that truth a reality in us 
Lord, that it might be a living reality in us as we walk with Christ. And I pray for everyone here who's listened to this from the Word of God as we prepare to watch Jesus being arrested, betrayed by Judas, forsaken by His own disciples, hated by His own people, the Jews. For Jesus was Jehovah of the Old Testament that led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, who provided for them manna in the wilderness, who opened the rock for them that they could drink water, who shielded them by day and by night with with the glorious Shekinah, who lived in their midst and dwelt in their midst and yet they griped and complained and fussed about Him all the time. Oh, let we not be that people. Let us not be that people. But let us be like Abraham who, who looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. We'll praise You and thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.